Welcome to the Demystifying Diversity Podcast, where each week we explore topics related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm Dara Lise Lyons, and I'm speaking to you today from the stolen Lenape land known as Philadelphia. And I'm Zach James, also occupying stolen Lenape lands. And I'm Azaria Keys, and I am also occupying Lenape land. In this Q&A episode of the Demystifying Diversity podcast, we're going to be building off of last week's episode, Success, Working from the Inside Out. So if you haven't already, please make sure to go back and listen to that episode. Personally, I found that episode to be really helpful in reframing my notions of success and professionalism, and I like to think that it invites listeners to reflect on what success means to them. Yeah, dear Elise, this episode certainly made me think about the juxtaposition between internal and external metrics. And honestly, it made me reflect a lot on how I define success and thinking about how I define success, realized that my definition of it changes a lot over time and depending on the scenario. But hearing everyone's stories really brought out some interesting thoughts in my mind about where I'm at today and what it looks like for me in this current moment. Indeed. And something I've found out in my own life is that it's impossible to look at someone else's life as an outsider and really assess how they feel and whether or not they're happy with their lives. So, Darylise, can you talk a bit about why you felt it was so important to include this subject among our episodes this season? I think that when we think about workplaces and people's lives at work, it's really important to look at what someone's goals are, what their objectives are, what they want professionally, and that external metrics are never really relevant. If one person wants to spend 80% of their waking hours working, their life is going to look very different than if they want to spend maybe 40% of their waking hours working, or if someone sees their sole purpose in life as their professional life, that's going to be a very different metric than someone who sees their sole purpose in life to be building relationships. And maybe they just want a job that supports them and being able to pay their bills and, and do that, have the free time to do that and spend that time with people. So I felt like this episode was really helpful in getting listeners and getting ourselves to think about what is a win for us professionally and not to try to step into a mold just because it's quote unquote, like the mold or the standard, but to really be willing to ask ourselves those deep questions and to cultivate the work-life balance that works for us and to cultivate a life that is successful by our own individual metrics, our familial metrics, the relationships and the values that are important. So this one felt like very ephemeral, actually, this topic, but it did feel really important. And Azaria, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. When we were brainstorming topics, this one felt important because I feel like there is often this archaic standard of what success is that is held by just corporate America in general. And I think the pandemic specifically flipped that on its head. I wanted to see today where we're currently at three years post the first case of COVID hitting the U.S. How are people defining success in knowing that we are prioritizing remote work a lot more, knowing that since the pandemic, a ton of people became entrepreneurs and launched their own businesses? So I just felt like it was a timely topic that we need to discuss, which is why I was really excited to have it put on the final list of subjects to cover. To follow up, because like you said, success can be very subjective. How did you go about selecting the guests that were on this episode? I will have to pass that to Daryl because 
I think what's amazing about this topic is, and as we hear in the episode, anybody can talk about what success means to them. So Darylise, how did you go about selecting the voices that we ultimately hear on this episode? This was one episode where we didn't really do that in advance. I think the interviews led to whose voices came into this episode just in the course of interviewing people for this season. A lot of people talked about what success means to them or how their professional lives have shifted and changed. And I feel like I don't want to say that this episode wrote itself because there's always a lot of work that goes into the writing of these episodes. But certainly it was one of those things where through the course of the interviews that I was doing about other topics, this came up a lot, especially when people were talking about leaving certain careers or really asking themselves those tough questions about, is this what I really want to be doing? And a lot of the academics that I interviewed came to academia through having careers in other areas first. And so it was just a really interesting topic and one that I feel like, Azaria, to your point, anyone can speak about their views of success. And so I just noticed who had spoken about their (laughs) views of success in our interviews. And then that really, I think, shaped the episode and the creation of the episode. But I want to know for the two of you, What were some of the most impactful moments or stories or takeaways that you all got out of this particular episode? I think putting in some of my feelings into words was was a really good thing for me. I can speak in terms of success from my experience, the the Black point of view. A couple folks spoke to that, specifically Joyce and Dr. Jonathan Howe. They both touched on this element of how Black folks don't necessarily have an opportunity to fail. They're not really raised in that light. The struggle of Black families over the years, for a lot of folks, success was making it to 21, or success was being able to hold down a job and get caught up in the system. I felt some of that. I wasn't really raised in the inner city. I was raised out in the burbs, but it, it tweaked the whole, will I make it to 21 a little bit? I didn't feel that pressure, but I felt pressure in a lot of other ways that my vision of success was, can I make it to college and actually get out of college and get a job? That was the pinnacle. And then as you go further along, the success becomes tougher to obtain because you don't really have that support system or that backup. If you fail at some point along the ways, you don't really have a fallback as a lot of other folks in this country do. So I've always felt that. I never really knew how to verbalize it. And that was a a great takeaway for me was hearing these folks actually explain how they've seen that play out and how that makes them feel. And I resonated a lot with that. I had a lot of a lot of fun self-reflection moments and, and really thought inwards, like, am I successful right now? Again, we'll, we'll get into it in this episode. I have a lot of thoughts of what success is for me now today and how different that was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But yeah, for me, it was it was hearing folks explain, especially the, some of our Black guests, how success was for them, because I can relate to that greatly. Yeah, I too just took away from this episode. First off, I was really impressed that so many people had such clear definitions of what their standard of success is, because I guess I haven't really gave it much thought, to be honest. I don't have a clear definition of what success looks like for me, almost because I feel like maybe it's so simplistic for me that I view like 
every day that I'm alive as a success, even if there are struggles. But I think that's just based off of some of the hardships I experienced growing up and trying to live in a space of gratitude and thankfulness for what I have. But yeah, I thought about, man, I probably should start defining it a little bit more, especially as you create goals down the line. Right now I'm in grad school and we're taking a class on research for change. And there's this piece about you have to ask yourself, okay, so what what are you trying to change? How are you going to do that? And then how are you going to know that a change is success? How are you going to measure success? And so when you think about it in that way, it's okay, well, I should probably set goals and then I need to also set a standard or a definition of what success for that goal looks like. So it did make me think about that. And I also just really appreciated Jonathan Howe had said, this word stood out to me that we need to interrogate the current standards of what we're being told success should be. And interrogate was an interesting word to use because there's a lot of power behind that word. And I do think that I personally left listening to that episode and feeling like, you know what? Yeah, when I go into spaces, I want to interrogate the current systems that are and the standards that I'm being told I need to abide by in order to have some type of socially acceptable success because it can put a lot of pressure on you. So a lot of self-reflection in this episode for me, and it was great hearing how everyone else has come to define the term for themselves. Yeah, I think both of you mentioned that this episode called into question your views of success or caused you to maybe interrogate or reflect on it a little bit more. And I would love to know if you have a working definition of success or even just one thing maybe that you're like, yeah, like this would be a success for me. And Zach, I know you you shared about your reflections, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's get into it. I want to know more. I want to know more from each of you. I think as I reflected on success, I broke it down into short-term success and long-term success. I think for me, my long-term success is still being defined. I think that's something that I'm, I'm thinking, all right, when I turn XYZ old, let's say 50 or 60, where am I at? And am I doing the things now to reach that point? A lot of it has to do with being financially stable for the long haul or reaching a level of wealth that I, in my mind, feel is success. Short-term my thoughts toward success actually mirrored a lot of what Rocky said when she mentioned tangibles and intangible successes and, and wins. When folks say, hey, that thing that you presented or this project that you did for me was amazing or what those tangible successes happen on a on a weekly basis. And that actually keeps me very energized and keeps me going. And then she mentioned intangible successes when you've had that amazing day and you know you've made an impact and you really crushed it and you sit there and reflect at the end of the day of, of all that you accomplished and that feeling of success. Like I have a lot of short-term successes like that. Of course, I have short-term pitfalls and usually that can turn into mini depressions and feeling like you didn't give it your all. But then you have that energy and ability to come back the next day and make it a successful day. I go through that on a, on a regular basis, but I also reflected on those long-term successes and and even wrote a couple of things down to find it a little bit more. I knew I, I wanted to be financially stable, but I thought, where is that? Where does that fall? So I, I given a lot more thought to it. And I was very grateful for that reflection period coming out of this episode for sure. I definitely need to sit down after this and <laughs> write down some things and really look at my life. What am I doing? I think that if I was asked this question maybe a few years ago, I would have obviously probably had a very different response. But just where I'm at right now in my life, 
I really think that I, because I'm trying to practice so much gratitude, I'm trying to find success in any opportunity. I'm a faith-driven person, and so I often try to find God in any opportunity, in any small, big, whatever moment. And I view success the same because my definition of success is highly tied to, Timothy Welbeck talked about this, my faith. So I try to find it wherever because I do think I once heard a motivational speaker who was a military veteran and had some hardships in life. And one thing that he said was, if you can start your day every single day by just making your bed, you are already off to a great start. That's a success. And I started doing that. So I now always make my bed. Believe it or not, I didn't always used to do that. And that feels like a success to me. That feels like I've achieved something in that moment. But in terms of longer term goals and and success. I think it's great. There are tangible things that I deem as success. And I think it's great to have those written down or have some sort of definition around that. So that again, once you've reached that, but I'm also like weary of limiting myself. And I get nervous that if I define it too much, or if I'm too strict with my definition, that I'm going to limit what I can get out of that experience and that moment. I think it just depends. It ebbs and flows for me. I think it's a especially after surviving the pandemic, like I laugh a little, but it's actually not funny because so many people did not. I just think that there is success and there's opportunity to view yourself experiencing success in every part of life, small or big. So that's where I'm trying to be right now. What about you, Darylise? I tend to be a very driven person, just like a very relentlessly driven human being. And I frankly suck at celebrating wins. I get to the end of a goal or whatever, and I'm always like, is this all there is? What's next? I I get very morose, actually, when I hit a goal. And I feel like for me, the next frontier in success is to be able to appreciate, yeah, I made some progress today. I might not have gotten to the end of that goal, but how great, you know, or to be able to sit down and just relax for an hour because I did something earlier that day. I feel like one of the myths that I walk around with is this belief that once I make it to X, I will feel this way. What I took out of this episode was really just the savoring of the process and also the bringing other people along. And that's something Travel Anderson said, that it's not success unless they can bring others with them. But then also Travel said that even if they never make it, that if those coming up behind them can reach the promised land, then they will have made it. And that really stood out to me, this idea of being where we are in the process and allowing that to be okay. And I don't know if that resonated at all for either of you, but I've been thinking about that a lot. Yeah, I actually was really impressed at the theme that I was just talking about this in class last night too, but the theme of individualism versus collectivism. And AC Folk said that there's no right or wrong way, but which one is your success definition of success based in if either, right? And I think I'm at a place in life where I really want my success. And I think it, for the most part, has honestly always been here to be based in an idea of collectivism. And those are values that I live by. And I think that that, it resonates because really, what is success if you don't have others to share it with? Otherwise, you're just sitting there, a very successful, lonely person, (laughs) which some might prefer, but that's certainly, I don't think is something that I would ever want. 
Yeah. And speaking of AC, he said that it'd be difficult for him to define something as success if he can't bring his authentic self forward. And I know we talk a little more about that with AC in his expert interview, which we'll be going into in a moment. But yeah, I wanted to ask each of you, when it comes to success, how important is authenticity for each of you? I think authenticity is important to success. Branching off of what AC said about showing up as your authentic self. For me as an entrepreneur, one of the elements that I enjoy so much about it is that I get to define success and it happens in so many varying ways. When I was in corporate, success was very much a hit this number. And at the time, and this resonated a lot with what Dr. Howe said about code switching for success, I had to do that a lot. (laughs) So I was reaching successful benchmarks, but I wasn't my authentic self in trying to get there. And that I didn't think at the time that that had an impact on me. But I noticed it had an impact on me now that I'm, quote unquote, free as an entrepreneur. And I feel so much more comfortable working way more hours than I did when I was in corporate because I am my authentic self every day. It's very important to me in in that lens. And I feel I think corporate environments have evolved a lot since I was in a corporate space. So I hope it's it's better for most folks these days. But, yeah, it's super important to me. And I just wish I had that ability to be authentic and feel that it wouldn't impact my ability to be successful when I was in that corporate environment. And just I'm I'm glad I made the switch to entrepreneurship. And and, and that actually might be one of the more successful things I've I've done. So I'm, I'm happy about it. Good for you, Zach. I'm not an entrepreneur. I think for me, I currently feel as though this is a privilege for me to say, but I don't really occupy any space that I can't be my authentic self because I've set up my circumstances in that way. That was a very intentional move for me. And that's a success for me personally, because I used to just take on opportunities even when I knew that it wasn't in alignment with who I authentically was. Now, what extent of my authenticity certain rooms and environments get is a different conversation. Call it code switching, whatever you might want. I know that I'm still being authentic, but it might be 30% of a specific layer of my authenticity and identity versus in this room, it's 100%. It just depends, but I still feel good about knowing that you're going to get a certain level of my authenticity structured around what this environment is, because I'm not going to be able to give you my best if it's not authentically me. And that's just something I've identified about myself. I'm miserable when I feel like I'm not true to myself. That's in work, that's in life, relationships, all of it. It's so closely tied to my definition of success because that is something that I I literally feel like I can't be in a space and not be allowed to be some extent of authentic. It's non-negotiable for me. But again, I acknowledge that that is a privilege and that has not always been my life. So I'm grateful to be able to be that intentional and turn down opportunities when they don't align with who I am. These past few years have really illuminated how important it is to care for our health. 
The place where I go for all my health and wellness supplements is Vita Supreme. Vita Supreme uses all organic ingredients and has a wide range of supplement options that can help with immune support, heart health, energy, mental health, pain relief, sleep, anti-aging, digestion, diabetes, and more. Their products have helped me reduce joint pain and increase vibrancy. And if you read their online testimonials, you'll find glowing endorsements from their customers who at every age and stage of life are feeling better than ever. Vita Supreme believes that health radiates from the inside out, and I can tell you from personal experience that their supplements have made a positive difference in my life. To receive 10% off your first order, go to vitasupreme.com slash pages slash diversity. Your discount will be applied at checkout. There's no code required. Also, as a special offer with your first order, you can receive a free 15-minute coaching session with one of their wellness experts to find out more about what you can do to improve your health and your habits. Just send your name and preferred contact information to support at vitasupreme.com. Once again, to get 10% off your first order, go to vitasupreme.com slash pages slash diversity. And to receive your free coaching session, email support at vitasupreme.com and tell them the Demystifying Diversity podcast sent you. Through innovative and dynamic educational initiatives, Temple University's Fox School of Business provides students with real-world, local, and global business opportunities. At the Fox School of Business, you can choose from a wide range of undergraduate, graduate, certificate, and continuing educational programs. Whatever your academic and professional path, you'll learn practical strategies for workplace success at a university that is committed to encouraging and respecting diversity in all forms and perspectives. The Fox School of Business, which includes the Center for Ethics, Diversity, and Workplace Culture, has built an inclusive, welcoming environment where everyone is emboldened to reach their full potential. So if you want to be in a learning environment that will empower you to cultivate your capacity for empathy and profitability, go to fox.temple.edu slash DDP for more on how you can learn from world-class DEI-focused faculty and become an inclusive leader in the workplace. So if you want to be in a learning environment that will empower you to cultivate your capacity for empathy and profitability, go to fox.temple.edu slash DDP for more on how you can learn from world-class DEI-focused faculty and become an inclusive leader in the workforce. With options for students and professionals at every stage of life, including undergraduate, graduate, certificate, and continuing educational programs, the Fox School of Business has something just right for you. So make sure to check out fox.temple.edu slash ddp to learn more. One of the things that stands out to me about opportunities or environments where authenticity might be more challenging or more challenging for certain individuals or people of certain identities is this idea of institutionalization of success and the centering of certain privileged identities. And Jonathan Howe spoke about that. He spoke of the centering of whiteness. And I think we could also expand that to say the centering of masculinity, ability, Christianity in the United States, at least, and other identities, right? Socioeconomic privilege. And I'm just wondering how people who maybe don't fit within 
certain privileged identities. How do we find that audacity and that fearlessness to be unapologetically our successful selves without subscribing to whatever those institutionalized norms are? The first word that comes to mind for me, Darylise, is community. I think it's a process that takes time. But when you're someone who identifies with one or more identities that are not as privileged or a part of the majority, I think it's really important to surround yourself with a community of people similar to you who are achieving different degrees of success. Because at least for me personally, that has been the major source of encouragement and inspiration to say, hey, look at this amazing community of people who have similar backgrounds, similar struggles based on their different identities, and they're doing it, right? I preface that by saying it takes time because you're not just going to build a community overnight that looks like that, one. But then also once you have that community in place, it takes time for you to see it in action and then adopt some of those tendencies and courage and strength yourself. But community for me, and that just goes back to the collectivism approaches, the other part of it is having community surrounding you where there are many people with different identities who have different degrees of success. If it's the right community for you, those will hopefully be individuals who open doors for you and bring you along. And before you know it, you too are achieving levels of success that you might not have otherwise achieved. But that's why it's so important to have representation and people that look like you supporting you and cheering for you because without that, they might not be able to help you get to the next level that you're trying to achieve or that you don't even know you can achieve, right? Because sometimes it takes other people telling us and showing us the way first before we actually believe it for ourselves. Thank you so much for that, Azaria. Now, was there anything that didn't make it into the episode that you would have wanted to include? We focused on work this season, but one thing that I think might have offered some different layers of perspective would be if I'd had a chance to speak with people who are out of the workforce, so maybe people who are younger folks who have not yet entered into the workforce about how they define success based on where they currently are in their lives, and then folks who are older, perhaps, and retired and have left the workforce. I think it's really one of the biases perhaps that made it into this reporting is the idea that work and success are somehow related. And I don't know that they always have to be. I think success can happen outside of a workplace setting or outside of aspirations of getting into certain workplace settings. So again, like I feel like that might have been outside of the scope of this season. But as someone who struggles with defining myself and my identity by the work that I do, I selfishly would have wanted (laughs) some help figuring out how to determine my success metrics outside of that. But yeah, Azaria, what about you? For the sake of focusing on the workplace, and we got a glimpse of this with AC folks, but it would have been great to bring in some of the people who set the standards of what success looks like. So more CEOs, more people leading companies, entrepreneurs who have teams that work under them. It would have been amazing to bring in more viewpoints like that where you can have honest conversations, hopefully with someone. And ideally, I could see that going down a path of them talking about how they've probably struggled to create 
a space that defines success in a way that's inclusive of the many different people who are in that environment, but then also like the major wins that they've had in shifting their culture enough to say that success looks like something that's more inclusive than the traditional standard of success. So I would have loved to have heard from more people leading organizations and hearing how they're currently grappling with setting standards around success and being agile and how that's defined. Yeah, absolutely. And Azaria, you mentioned AC folks, and I think now would be a great time to move into our expert interview section of the Q&A episode. I had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. AC Folks, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Folks Consulting, an LGBTQ plus sensitivity and transgender inclusion consulting firm. He is a licensed clinical psychologist and has worked in the field of diversity and inclusion for over 10 years. He is a thought leader, and he has a passion for LGBTQ plus sensitivity and inclusion. And Dr. Folks is, to my knowledge and to his knowledge, is the first transgender CEO of a psychiatric facility. He's a Forbes contributor, really just wonderful stuff, and a proud member of the board of directors for the Trevor Project. And so we'll play the clip of my interview with AC and then Zach in his area. You and I will come back and talk about it. One thing I do want to mention to those of you who are listening, there were some Wi-Fi connection issues during my interview with AC, but please hang in there. I promise it's worth it. The content is phenomenal, and I did my best to clarify some of the inaudible audio, so you should be able to understand everything that's being said, and really, AC had some gems. Demystify diversity, making work safe for you and me. Shoulder to shoulder, we embark and fight the light to send the dark. Let's embrace one another, single colleagues, working mothers, people of all points of view. Can we see each other? Last we spoke, I was working pretty much exclusively for myself doing consulting, LGBTQ sensitivity and transgender inclusion consulting in particular. And since then, what has happened is I have accepted a position as the CEO of a psychiatric facility, which on the surface is probably like worlds apart. But for me, it all ties together. There's this underlying thread. So I'm I'm a clinical psychologist by training, and I have worked in forensic settings for a very long time, both in the prison system and in freestanding psychiatric facilities. And I really, to be honest with you, I've always had the consulting firm that I've done on the side, but I really transitioned into doing that full time after realizing that I was running into a bit of a, we'll call it a, a pink ceiling, or maybe in my case, a pink and blue ceiling, and that I was climbing up the ranks, but I, I reached this place where I just could not advance any further. No one could tell me what to do differently or how to continue to progress. And then I actually had a couple people who were willing to talk to me off the record and say, hey, honestly, you're amazing, but you might be a little ahead of your time or maybe ahead of our time. Some other people are ready to have a transition in, in this role. That was a terribly difficult pill to swallow because I had best I knew done everything right. I had probably crossed every T, I checked every box, and I just reached this place where 
my very identity was the thing that was keeping me from being able to move forward. And I didn't have a willingness to go back into the closet, which is really coming from a place of privilege that I can even say that. It's a quality of life issue. I couldn't imagine going back into the closet and pretending that I wasn't trans. And so I had a decision to make. And I could continue churning, giving my all and not being able to advance or I could shift. And so I did. I I decided to pivot and I went into working for myself full time. And I made that pivot and I started doing that. But it was really more out of necessity, right? From a mental health standpoint, I couldn't continue to bring all of myself to bear and it not be enough for reasons that were outside of my control. It really hit me really hard. And, and if I were to be completely transparent with you, I feel like I kind of grieved the loss of that dream. My dream had been to be the CEO of a psychiatric facility. And I, I went through a grieving process and resigned myself to the fact that that was an opportunity that I would likely not have because people weren't ready to see trans man, a black trans man in that position. Fast forward, I was working for my some time and, and then I started doing DEI work in some other spaces and in higher education. AC then went on to say that in a miraculous way, a recruiter reached out to him, offering him an opportunity to interview for his dream job as CEO of a psychiatric facility. And while he had some doubts about whether or not others would be receptive to him taking on that role, as you'll hear, going for that dream job has proved to be well worth it. I had those fears, but I decided to go ahead and go with the process. And I did, and I was selected. And I was, I was blown away. And what's so crazy is I always knew that I could do the job. I just didn't know that I would ever get a chance. And I think that's the experience of so many people that are members of minoritized groups. It's that we know that if given the opportunity, we can advance and we can excel, but will we be given the opportunity? And so finally, I got my, I got my shot. And so I'm the CEO of a psych facility, and it's pretty amazing. And actually, to my knowledge... I'm the first black trans man in the United States to be the CEO of a psychiatric facility. I can't think of anyone else. There's not a lot of us. We're a pretty small community and we all know one another. And I can't think of anyone else. And none of my peers can seem to think of anyone else. So I, I think that it might be me. I, I, I might be the, the first to, to make this a, a reality or to, to have that privilege. What I love, I mean, there's so much that is painful about what you shared in terms of the doors that were closed to you and the pink and blue ceilings that you referenced. And there's also so much that is beautiful in terms of your willingness to remain true to yourself and also that the dream that you wanted to manifest also did happen with that authenticity piece. And I know that, AC, the last time we spoke, you spoke specifically about how for you, something won't feel like success until you can bring your authentic self into that space. And so I'm curious when people are torn between their dreams or their aspirations and being, I I guess, their their authentic selves or their values living in accordance with, with who they are. How do you encourage people to make those choices? And because it feels really fraught. Yeah. Well, and it's a choice that has to be made on an individual basis, taking into consideration the dynamics of your specific situation. I can sit here and say, as someone with a PhD that's upper middle class, that has a consulting firm, just stick to your truth 
and deny any opportunity that doesn't allow you to show up authentically. But that really comes from a place of privilege. That comes from having some money and savings or being positioned where I can create additional income. I would never say that the right thing to do is, I don't know, to take a stand. And I think it needs to be okay for you to not be able to afford to take a stand. I think we have to hold space for that and not have that be the expectation. So then what is the expectation? So it comes down to what is it that you can actually do? What can you reasonably do? What can you comfortably do? What can you do and still take care of your family and take care of your responsibilities and still maintain your quality of life? What is it that you can do and still take care of everything that you've been charged with? If you can take a stand and say, I'm not going to show up if I can't be my authentic self and still meet the needs of your family and all of your responsibilities, then great. Awesome. Go for it. But if you can't, I don't think that you should feel pressured to. Sometimes what that looks like is building the dream on the side. There's a lot of people that I know that have worked in places or in positions that they didn't necessarily love or enjoy, but they viewed it as a mechanism by which they could build their dream. For some people, that's what that looks like. Sometimes you can't get rid of the nine to five. You have to use the nine to five to fuel your dream and your vision, right? And and you have to allow it to be maybe your, your first, if not only investor. And that's okay. Not everyone feels up to the fight. And that's okay too. Not everyone is called to fight. Even when we think about battle, to take that analogy, and when we think about there are different roles that people play. And you've got people that are on the front lines, but just as importantly are the people that are in the background that are strategizing. Just as important are the people who are rendering aid to those that have been injured. Just as important are the people that are creating propaganda to get other people riled up and ready to go. Just as important are the people that are creating the plans and the mechanisms for reentry and people coming back after the battle. Like there is a space for all of us and it doesn't always look like fighting and standing up and positioning yourself as the person to take the initial or very real and tangible impact. I remember when I first started to really get involved in LGBTQ specific work and I, I found myself surrounded by LGBTQ plus activists and they were activists. Okay. I mean, they left it all on the court. And I remember feeling so out of place because I, where I was in my life, I couldn't risk it all. I had a family to take care of. I couldn't risk it all. It would have been reckless of me to risk it all. And I remember in those moments needing for that to be okay and not always feeling like it was, but needing more than anything for someone to say, it's okay that you can't risk it all. That's a really long way of coming back to saying, you know, I would never say to someone, risk it all, put it all on the line, stand up for yourself and being able to show up authentically. What I would say is don't risk things that you can't afford to risk, have peace in knowing that you've done your level best, whatever that is, and understand that there's a place for you. That's such an important point that you make, AC. And I'm curious because I think sometimes we all operate in our silos or in our certain circles. And I feel similarly to you. I mean, there are some circles that I'm in that are heavily activist, right? And then there's some circles that I would say are maybe not at all. And I'm curious, how do 
different spaces make room for people to show up and be who they are, risk what they can or not choose to risk what they don't choose to risk? And then how do we as people show up in the dynamic, multifaceted beings that we are, knowing that maybe in a certain space, we might be more authentic. In another space, we might be less. In another space, we might be more willing to go to battle. And in another space or phase of our life, we might not have that. I think sometimes we live in a society that is very binary and has these expectations of this is who you shall be and you shall be this way in all settings. But what I hear you saying, you're speaking more about discernment. And I'm just wondering how we adapt to that both as individuals and as a society. I think it's a worldview thing. So like for me, I think it has to do with viewing everyone as a value add. And that being my baseline, my fundamental, rudimentary, this is where it starts. If everyone is a value add, then even if it takes a little bit of extra time for me to figure out what your value is exactly, I know it's in there. We're going to figure out what that is. This belief that everyone has light within them. There's something that they can contribute. And I think when we step away from trying to make specific or certain contributions more important, more righteous, more heavily weighted than others, then we can begin to see everyone as a value add. I don't know if you've heard the debate out there about allyship versus are you an ally versus an accomplice? Have you heard that? Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. That's, I feel like, a perfect example of the fact that we need to create space for everyone. I've had that conversation with people where I've said, you know, listen, accomplices, that's great. Sure. Great. Awesome. But that doesn't mean that allies aren't valuable. We need allies. Not everyone is going to put it all on the line and that doesn't make them any less valuable. It is just as valuable to me. You are just as valuable to me. If you're literally on the front lines, holding a sign, screaming at the top of your lungs and risking incarceration, just as valuable to me or the person who is at home with their child who's teaching them not to grow up and be a bigot is just as valuable to me as the person that's on the front line risking incarceration. We've got to be able to see that. Otherwise, we end up shunning anyone who isn't willing and or able to risk it all. And then you look up and you have no movement at all. There's not enough martyrs for this to be successful. We've got to have people at every level. And I think when we lose sight of that, we do ourselves and the movement as a whole a disservice. It's so interesting. I'm loving what you're saying. I was thinking about how in our original interview, we spoke a little bit about moving one rung up the ladder and we were speaking more about within organizations, right? So moving from animosity to tolerance and tolerance to acceptance and acceptance to inclusion. But one of the things that I've noticed, AC, is that when it comes to human beings, I don't know, there's this imaginary ladder of worth that people create in our minds. And it's like, well, if you're not on this particular rung in the DEI space or in terms of your professional success or whatever, fill in variable here, like then somehow you're failing or you need to do more or you need to be better. And I'm just so curious how you balance the organizational need for improvement with the acceptance of where people are and who they are and what they're able and willing to risk. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think the, the answer is multifaceted. When we're thinking about organizational structure and we're thinking about measurable outcomes and key performance indicators and those types of things, the ways that companies tend to measure success. When we think about those things, 
I think if if we only consider those things when we're thinking about what it is to be successful, even in a professional space, then we end up losing or missing a great deal of the picture. That any one person is more than their ability to manifest stellar key performance indicators and metrics and, and measurable outcomes. That there's more to people than that. And I would even go as far as to say people are able to produce at a higher level when you can appreciate that there's more to them than that. So when I think about myself as someone in a position of authority, I've always really believed that it's really important to know to know your folks, right? which might seem like a really small thing, but it's so it's so big, right? Because you are more than your ability to dot this I across that T. Like you're you are an entire being. And if I can appreciate you as an entire being, you'll bring more of yourself to the table and you'll produce at a higher rate. I don't have to put all of the pressure on producing. If I can focus on you holistically, you will begin to make sure that you produce, right? Like I don't have to, I don't have to make that happen. What I have to do is create an environment that is conducive to production and make sure that you know that it is a safe environment to produce in. And the rest you'll kind of figure out on your own if you feel supported and affirmed. That's at least that's been my experience. I'm much less likely to talk to you about line item number nine and much more likely to be like, so how was that appointment with your kiddo yesterday? Line item number nine will work itself out, especially if, if you know that I care about the appointment you have with your kiddo yesterday. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. I'm curious because you talked earlier about risk. And one of the things that comes up for me with being emotionally invested in my team members, being emotionally invested in the people around me is that there is actually a risk in that. I do care more. It is a little bit easier to talk about line item number nine, because then who's ever filling in the spreadsheet, if they leave the organization or whatever, I can just, they're replaceable, right? Like, and people become commodities. And so I guess I just want to ask, how do you honor the vulnerability that's required in evaluating success by people and relationships as opposed to achievement and line items? I don't know if you've ever heard the saying that people don't leave companies, they leave managers or supervisors or bosses, right? They don't, people don't leave organizations, they leave managers, essentially, which is a, uh, as a manager, could be a tough pill to swallow, but I think there's a certain measure of truth there, right? Because people will hang in there with you oftentimes until the wheels fall off if they um, are committed to you and loyal to you and your vision, right? So that that is kind of what comes to mind for me, the understanding that there is vulnerability and that that vulnerability is taking place on both sides. So as a, as a leader, there's a certain level of vulnerability that I have and that I'm reliant upon you to make these things happen, right? Or else I'm likely the one that's going to bear the consequence of that. But also as someone who is working alongside me, there's a certain level of vulnerability that you have in trusting my vision and that I'm not going to place the entire organization at risk because I have made a poor decision or I have not done my homework or have not done my due diligence. 
So there's vulnerability on both sides. And how do you, how do you guard against that? I don't know that you do. I think that you, that there's a certain level of risk inherent in relationships of any kind. And you accept that risk. You accept that they may do something that disappoints you. You accept that you might miss the mark and it might not be everything that they had envisioned or hoped. And that's just part of the human element of work. And I, I think ultimately, though, when that's the case, your successes are that much more beautiful, but your failures hurt that much more as well. And, you know, speaking of vulnerability and relying on other people in order to bring a vision to fruition, I feel like that would be a really beautiful time to move into our listener questions, AC, because, and just to take a moment to recognize that this podcast would not exist without active and engaged listeners who call us and write us and listen and care and really, I think, have shaped the direction of the podcast and certainly will shape the direction of this Q&A with their questions. Hey, listeners, Zach here. Darylise and I are so grateful you've tuned in to season three of the Demystifying Diversity podcast. You probably know by now that we've partnered with Temple University's Fox School of Business to bring you this special season dedicated to DEI in the workplace. With that in mind, we ask that you send us your work-related DEI questions by calling 844-888-8148. Just leave a message with your question or send us a note through our website, www.demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com. As always, we'll be joined by some amazing guest experts and thought leaders who can also weigh in on whatever questions you have. Again, the number is 844-888-8148 or message us through our website, demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com. Who knows, your voice or your question may just make it into one of our Q&A episodes. Happy listening. I'd love to play Brad's question and then have you answer that and we'll just sort of move on down the line if that's okay. Hey, this is Brad from Texas. I've got a question for you. How much does leadership's definition of success impact a company's culture? Thanks. That's an excellent question, Brad. I think that it shapes culture, that the leader's vision of success causes the undercurrent, the churning, right, the behind the scenes that shape the culture that you work in. So if success for me is our ability to reach the bottom line, then all of the parts of the organization are going to come together to work toward that end, the bottom line. As AC continued speaking, his Wi-Fi glitched for just a moment. But what he said was that if success in an organization is reaching the bottom line, then all of the mechanisms of an organization are going to come together to meet that end. And if success is achieving a certain user experience, all of the mechanisms are going to come together towards that end. And then picking back up where he left off. If success for me is customer loyalty, then all of the, you you see where I'm going here. So I think the way that you define leadership, the way that you define success, rather, as a leader, actually shapes culture. I also think that there's a certain symbiotic relationship, I think for good leaders anyway, that they allow themselves to have a certain level of responsiveness to the culture to help them define 
what success is. So it's not just a one-way thing. It's not just I decree and I declare that this is who we are, but there's this, I also allow culture to inform how I define success. So we will allow my definition of success to inform how we shape our culture, and we will allow our culture to help define how we measure success, and those two things will work together in a way that allow growth on both sides and feedback on both sides and the removal of blind spots on both sides. Thank you so much, AC, because there ought to be a symbiotic relationship between leaders' definitions and employees' definitions. But you're 100% right that those definitions as established by leaders are going to drive everything within an organization. And I think it also speaks to retention and, and retention problems, right? When people work within organizations that don't have a definition of success that matches theirs, I don't think they last there long unless it's not viable for them to go elsewhere. And employees that stay at organizations but don't want to be there are not really going to give their best efforts. So thank you so much, Brad, for the question. And AC, thank you for the answer. We have an anonymous call-in question next. So let's play that one. What do I do if what I view as success not match what my family sees as success. I care about their approval, but I have my own goals and feel that I'm at a crossroads. This really comes down to culture. And by that, I mean, is your lens individualistic or collectivistic? Because I think that that will probably inform where to go with this. There's no right or wrong. There is no better or worse. It just kind of is, just kind of a statement of fact, right? Like, what is your lens? Is what is most important to you, your own individual kind of self-actualization and being able to say with good conscience and clear mind that you did everything that you desired to do, that you showed up in the way that you desired to show up, that you impacted the people, places, and things that you desired to impact? Or is your lens more collectivistic? And is it more about the group as opposed to the individual? In which case, your family's definition of success would probably weigh on you pretty heavily because it's not just about if you showed up in the ways that felt best for you, but if you showed up in ways that helped the larger body, the family unit. If you were able to create space not just for yourself, but for the larger family unit to create opportunity, not just for yourself, but for the larger family unit. And there is no right or wrong. I think that what you have to do is you have to determine, and this kind of comes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier about discernment, barely. Like you have to determine what is most important to you. And then I think to the extent that you can safely do so, you walk in that truth and you know that that's okay. So If what's most important to you is self-actualization and you knowing that you have brought your entire self to bear and when you look at the mirror at night, you're able to say, I did that, then okay, awesome. If what's most important to you is that your family be not just pleased with, but taken into consideration in your decision-making process and all that you do, if that's what's most important, then at the end of the day, you look here and you say, yeah, I made sure that my family unit was 
taken care of and that they had their needs met and that they are pleased with where things stand, then great. I would also say that these two things are mutually exclusive, right? So you can also, you know, there's a continuum and you can fall somewhere in the middle, right? You can be one or the other or both or neither. And that's okay too, right? You might say, so me showing up in all the ways that I want to show up for myself is really important to me. And I feel like I owe that to myself. I also feel indebted to my family because I wouldn't be where I am today if it hadn't been for their support. And so both of those things exist. And you can have two seemingly disparate truths exist at the same time. And they can both be valid and that's okay. It would also be the case that neither of those things really fit for you. And it's not about your individual existence or the family structure, but that it's about something completely outside of that. Maybe a third thing that's really important. Those are called that's important. And that is about it. I guess what it is that I'm saying is more than anything, it's important for you to know what your truth is. And then to the extent that you can safely do so, embrace that fully and, and have peace with that and know that it's okay. I'm so grateful for the listener question. And you know, AC, I think the next question is one I really can't wait for you to answer. Maybe we'll just play it because I'd love to just hear what you have to say to that. Hi, my question is, what if my view of success matches the standard narrative? There's something wrong with that or with me? So the short answer to that question is, no, there's nothing wrong with that or you. The long answer to that is, and this comes back to us being able to see all beings as a value add. There is a place and a space for all of us, including those whose definition of success matches the standard narrative. That question kind of feels like I, there was a debate, you know, Darylise, there was a debate that I heard just recently. Uh, someone was pretty high profile person was talking about if it's okay to be white, which as you can imagine is a very loaded question. But is it okay to be white? Which is to say, what exactly? Maybe is it okay to be a member of the majority? Is it okay to have a certain level of privilege? Is it okay? Whatever it is that that represents for you. When I hear that question, is it okay if my definition of success matches the kind of standard narrative? That's kind of what comes to mind for me. It's that, is it okay if I am a member of the majority? And it's absolutely okay. It's absolutely okay to be white, right? Like, mm-hmm. And it's absolutely to have your standard of success match the narrative of the majority, there's beauty in that. It's necessary. It provides not just a, a form of stability for those that have that personal lived experience, but it provides a reference point for those that don't. And so we need individuals with that lens just as much as we need individuals with lenses that are radically different. So there's value in that. And yeah, there's nothing wrong with you whatsoever. That would be my answer. I love that. You know, and I also really love you drawing that question through the lens, AC, of like, yeah, it's okay to be within the majority. Like, it's okay, you know? And one of the things that comes up for me is that there is a difference between an individual's experience of and definitions of success and the structures that demand a certain type of success or a certain type of showing up. And I almost think that the example that you gave reminds me of that parallel, right? Versus like individual identity and experience versus structural norms and expectations. And I think that's part of what the question for me is getting at as well. It's like, yeah, whatever your definition of success is beautiful and wonderful. And also 
let's make space for multiple definitions to be okay, right? Yeah, I was just having this conversation with someone earlier today that as a member of the transgender community, I feel like we're in this perpetual balancing act of, you know, trying to balance novelty with normalcy, that there's this push and pull where it's, if I'm speaking to a cisgender person, you know, my cisgender counterpart, it's like, I am very much like you and not like you all at the same time. And that's a beautiful thing. There's beauty in that. It's when we, when we need everyone to be the same, right? That's the danger of the whole melting pot. We don't want melting pots. I don't want us to all melt them. The danger of the melting pot is that no one is recognizable. We need to be able to recognize you and your individuality and everything that you bring to bear. And if we melt you into everyone else, then we can't recognize you at the other end of that. And so that's kind of what that brings up for me is it's like there's this push and pull of, you know, when we're thinking about the majority and when we're thinking about member minoritized groups, when we're thinking about the opinion or the perspective of, of most people or the narrative of success that most people experience versus the narrative of success maybe of someone that doesn't come from that upbringing or doesn't have that lens. We need all of those things to exist independently of one another, but also be able to work with one another. It's a balance. We have to come together and stay apart all at the same time in order for this to be successful. Thank you so much for that answer. Thank you to the listener for the question. Meg from Tennessee has a question that I'd love to hear your answer to, AC. Hey there, this is Meg from Tennessee, and I have a question. Can you share how professional standards differ based on culture, geography, or other factors? Thanks so much. The first thing that came to mind for me there, Elise, was the crown. The very first thing that came to mind for me was the ability for black and brown people to wear their natural hair and that be okay and that be considered professional. This is a fantastic question because I feel like more and more what we are beginning to realize is that the celebration of difference is something that we need. It's something that we need to be successful, kind of like the melting pot conversation we just had. We need to be able to celebrate difference. So the way that people view success might be different based on their culture, and that's valid and that's okay, right? So the way that I view success as a Black trans man might be very different from the way that I would view success as a cis Black man. It'd be very different from the way that I view success as a cis white woman. So I think it's inevitable there's difference. And I think that we have to learn to appreciate and recognize that difference. And it's really tough because you want to respect and honor cultural nuance without playing into stereotypes and tropes, which is a really difficult balancing act, right? I want to be able to acknowledge that your experience as a Middle Eastern person is different from mine, but I also don't want to make assumptions based on the fact that you're Middle Eastern. So how do I balance that, right? There's that push and pull again where it's like, I want to celebrate that you're different, but I also don't want to other you or I don't want to make assumptions as if you're a part of a monolith or like you're homogenous, like you're not an individual. So how do you use that? I don't know. It's a fantastic question. So does culture impact 
how we view success, yes, but so does our individual experience and our individual background. So if I grow up and I am upper middle class, that's going to impact me. My view of success might be very different from someone that grew up that was living below the poverty line. How do you balance that impact without also feeding into types and tropes? I mean, I wonder too, you talked earlier, AC, about every individual being a value add. And I, I think every culture is a value add, you know, within a larger organization or within relationships. And, and I wonder, I don't know, I think if we can be open and curious without tokenizing or demanding to know that which is not ours to know, it can really be a beautiful, rich experience to allow multiple cultures to inform environments, work environments. Well, it's interesting because it it also brings to mind for me, and listen, I'm not one to often quote rap artists. I believe it was the wise sage Jay-Z that said something along the lines of, and this is not verbatim, but something along the lines of, here we measure success by how many people around you are also successful. If everyone is broke except for you, then you're not successful. When we think about cultural nuance and individualistic versus collectivistic, like I think about that, like when I think about how we view success in the West, it is very individualistic. But there are other places in the world where you can have a house on a hill and make lots and lots of money. But if you're not just immediate, but extended family aren't taken care of, then it's all for naught. And so there's this, like you said, there's this rich tapestry of experiences and lenses that that are different. So how do we measure success? I'm aligned with something that I find myself saying often in interviews, but I'm more aligned with Jay-Z in that. If you're the only one that's successful, then are you really successful? If your rise hasn't caused those around you to rise as well, is it really success? Well, that comes back to individualistic versus collectivistic. That comes back to Western ideology versus other ideologies. Thank you so much, AC, for that answer. And thank you, Meg, from Tennessee with that question. It was a really poignant one. We have one last question from Ben in Texas. Hi, this is Ben from Texas, and I had a question for the show. I wanted to know that if your definitions of professional success change over time, is it important to tell people, or is that something that's okay to keep private? Thank you. My quick answer to that question is, it is always okay to keep things private. That's my quick answer. My more lengthy answer is, if you're counting on the people around you to help you accomplish your goals and to help you get to where you're trying to go. It's important to understand what your measure of success is. And if that changes with time, it's important that they know that it changes so that they can best support you. But is it okay not to share that? It's absolutely, it's okay not to share anything ever if you don't want to. You have agency and you get to decide what you feel is safe to share with other people. And I'll also add that not everyone has shown themselves to be a safe place for sharing. It's okay to acknowledge that too. I don't share all of my dreams and aspirations with everyone. I don't. I share my dreams and aspirations with the people that I know are really in my corner and that are really going to help to push me and that are really going to hold me accountable and say, hey, didn't you say X, Y, and Z? It's not something that I share with everyone. 
and that's okay. I know some people that do share their dreams with everyone and it helps them stay the course because they have this external pressure. You know, everybody's watching. And if that's your deal and it'll help you to stay the course, then great. That's not the case for me. That for me would be probably more pleasing than than constructive, right? So for me, I'd rather just share my dreams with the people that I know really support me. So my answer to that is it's okay to keep stuff to yourself. It's okay to utilize discernment and you should utilize discernment to ascertain who it is that you should share things with. And I like to tell people I reserve the right to change my mind. What AC continued to say here that unfortunately was cut off was that if you change your mind about your goals, that's okay. And if you change your mind about who to share those goals with and how much to share, that's also okay. Thank you for that. And I needed to hear that. And hopefully Ben did as well and got out of that what I did. Speaking of sharing and selective sharing, AC, is there anything that I didn't ask you about or our listeners didn't ask you about that you would have wanted to say today? You know, I I feel like this has been a really good discussion. I think if there's a takeaway that I want to make sure that everyone leaves this, this conversation with, it is the importance of seeing value in everyone, in every individual and in every culture, like you mentioned. Understanding that the end goal is not to melt us all together into one unrecognizable glob, but the end goal is for us to be able to come together kind of in this beautiful way, like puzzle pieces, where you're still your own separate and distinct piece, but you fit into a larger vision. What AC went on to say was that if we think more along the lines of puzzle pieces and less along the lines of a melting pot, the closer we'll get to where we want to be in the end. AC, if people are listening to this and they have more questions for you or want to get in touch or just want to follow your work, where can they learn more about you and about the work that you're doing? My website is folksconsulting.com. And that's folks is F as in Frank, O-W-L-K-E-S, folksconsulting.com. In terms of social media, I am most active on LinkedIn. It is my social media platform of choice. And so if you want to see what I've got going on and what I'm doing, LinkedIn is a great place to follow me and to follow my work. We'll put links to both of those things in the show notes. And I got to say, AC is killing it on LinkedIn. So like if you, want to, uh, if you want to follow his work there, I love what you're doing on LinkedIn. I think it's very impressive and really impactful, actually you're making a difference in that space. Thank you so much. I recognize that I'm in a position that a lot of people might not be in, right? Where, you know, for me, as someone who is going through the process of medical transition, I have a platform to speak about what that experience is like for me. And I have a certain amount of safety and insulation, just kind of rooted in my personal success and privilege. And so if I can be a voice for people that maybe don't feel safe speaking up. And if I can help to create safer spaces for people by explaining what my lived experiences are as a trans person, then I'm all about that. Well, I love that. Thank you so much for your willingness to, I know you have shared with me that you're a more of a private introverted person, but your willingness to share your journey in a way that is having a public impact where you also do have some insulation and some 
privacy and some safety and somewhat of a remove, right, from the immediacy of some of it. And I just really appreciate that. And to our listeners, make sure to check out Dr. AC Folks. And yeah, thank you all again. Thank you so much. Can we move forward differently to foster greater equity? Even if we don't always understand fairness, we can and should demand. Let's embrace one another, single colleagues, working mothers, people of all points of view. Can we see each other through? I have to say again, it was too bad that we had some sound glitches, but thank you to the listeners for hanging in there with us because the content was really great. I really love how AC is willing to share so vulnerably. And I know, Zach, before we started recording, you were mentioning how he talked about success and he also talked about other things. But I think success is multifaceted. I think it's holistic. And I will say that one of my favorite quotes this entire season came from AC when he said, I think we put this in the diversity, equity, and inclusion episode, but he tells people all the time that it's hard to hate up close. And I just want to flip that on its head and say that one of the things about success that I find is that it's hard to evaluate success from far away, right? (laughs) Like I think about celebrities and Instagram posts and other people's Facebook profiles. And just as it's hard to hate up close, I think it's hard to judge anyone from afar. Thank you so much for reminding me who said the piece about it's hard to hate up close because I have been using that ever since I heard AC (laughs) say it in the episode. I love it. I've been telling people that I'm like, someone once said, and I could not remember who it was, but now I will accredit AC when I continue to use it because it's amazing. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it really is hard to judge success when you don't know if someone is viewing success from an intrinsic or extrinsic point of view. And I think that that's why it does not work to have a sort of one size fits all approach. So it's it's really great to think about it in a way that we need to be more willing to adjust our our views of success around who it is that we're looking at to measure that success, right? So I agree with you. Hey listeners, Zach James here, partner and marketing manager of the Demystifying Diversity Podcast, and I wanted to share with you some of the great things we're doing in the DEI space. Since the beginning of 2020, myself, Darylise, and our DEI team have facilitated numerous corporate trainings, engaging workshops, one-on-one coaching sessions, and so much more, both virtual and in person. To find out how you can work with us, whether you are an individual or representing an organization, school, corporation, or any other type of group seeking diversity, equity, and inclusion education, head over to demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com backslash DEI services to send us a message or to fill out our DEI survey. Darylise is a DEI subject matter expert, having interviewed over 300 people, becoming a TEDx speaker, as well as the author of Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity. Together, we can help you up-level your DEI skills to improve your productivity, profitability, and interpersonal relationships. So connect with us at demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com backslash DEI services and get yourself a copy of Darylise's book, Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity. And don't forget the workbook too. Happy learning. Speaking of adjusting our views of success, has this episode or listening to my chat with AC 
changed either of your understandings of success and how so? I wouldn't say it changed it, but it gave me a heightened perspective because I never really looked at success from being a leader in a corporate environment, or at least from having folks that are following my lead from like an employee perspective. I've I've had interns and folks like that before, and I always looked at that more like mentoring. But I love when AC mentioned success as a leader has a lot to do with shaping culture because I've never had to shape a culture. I've only really had to focus on how I interact and, and work with clients and whether it be on project basis level or an ongoing basis. And I thought that was really important. I never really looked at success being measured in that construct when it comes to work. The culture you create and, of course, how that mirrors the goals of the company, I think, can define success as a leader. Because if you don't have a quality culture, if you're not cultivating a culture for your employees that, A, they can be themselves, that they can provide the best work for the company, then how do you actually hit your goals? How do you actually become successful if you don't foster the environment for a team to be their best? So I really enjoyed that takeaway from what AC said. Agreed. For me, it didn't necessarily change my understanding of success, but it did make me want to self-reflect more, as I've already said. I think it is important to almost have several probably definitions for certain scenarios on what success is to you, because I think that by first having those definitions and clearly having an understanding of your views on it, it helps you pick and choose what you will and will not accept into your life moving forward. That's career, family, relationships, whatever. Because if I know that success for me in friendship looks like this, well, down the line when I have an opportunity to build a friendship with someone, but it's not aligning with what I feel personally and have defined personally is success, then that's probably not a friendship I need to invest a ton of time and energy in simply because it's not in alignment with where I'm viewing my my life trajectory. So I think that goes for work as well when you are picking an organization to work for. Having some clear goals and, and standards of success because that helps you decide if this is an organization where you're going to be able to prosper. Speaking of that alignment with one's own goals, is there anything that you all are hoping that listeners would do differently or could advise them or suggest for them based on your own experience or your own perspective? Or is there anything that you would suggest for listeners? Plain and simple, as I've learned in listening to this episode, if you haven't already sat down and thought about what success means to you, I think it's worthwhile because as so many of the participants on this episode pointed to, it changes over time, but it's so important to know what it means for you because I think it ultimately leads you to a life where you are able to be your most authentic self and you know what that looks like. So it's worth investing some time to think about that. And I'm literally speaking to myself, but also hope the listeners feel the same way. (laughs) One thing I would urge listeners to do is just understand success can only be clearly measured by you, but you should set what that, that success level is and not gauge it off of other people. I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said, for example, looking at social media and you see other people apparently having success and you change your goals or your path to success or whatever in relation to that. Just urging folks to not do that. You want to dictate to yourself what you think success is and let other things you see be motivation, but not sway or change what success is for you. Yeah, in terms of what success means, and Zach, with the idea of what success means to us, I think it really circles back to Azaria's point earlier about 
individual and communal success. And then we had talked about legacy building. And one thing that I think it's really important is not to conflate privilege with success. I heard someone say that, give this analogy of if you're thinking about baseball, which Zach, as you know, I'm not a sports person, so I don't even know why I'm busting out this analogy, but it's <laughs> how it was described to me. They said, if you think about baseball and someone hits a single or whatever, that's one thing, but there are some people who are born on third base and they feel like that was somehow a testament to their worth or their value as a human being, right? And I think about privilege and this idea of being born on third base versus being born on first base versus being born with two strikes against you. And I think one of the things that this episode really made me reflect on is that privilege and success cannot be conflated for one another and that what is success for one person might actually be the opposite for another. And just the idea of being willing to give each other and ourselves grace. 100%. And so we've been wrapping each episode by talking about how privilege, intersectionality, inequity, and identities relate to each of the subjects. And so Azaria, I would love, I feel like you always have something to say about intersectionality and the topic, but any reflections there on intersectionality and success and how that might complicate it or, or impact it? Yeah, I feel like my answer is like roughly the same almost every time, just because you can't talk about any of this without thinking about all that's at play in a single human being. And all that is at play is often a multitude of identities and layers of privilege or, or no privilege. So intersectionality is super important. In terms of success specifically, this episode has really just pointed to the fact that it really even in the workplace, at the end of the day, even if the workplace as a whole has set a standard of what success is, that standard of success is still filtered through an individual person's standard of what success is for themselves. And so I just think that you have to keep in mind, and when we're talking about the value of diversity and inclusion and being more inclusive in the workplace, that includes being more inclusive about how different cultures, different experiences influence people's view of success. And it probably doesn't serve a company well to have such a fixed concept of success that is not able to be molded by someone from a different culture with several layers of intersectionality in their identity to fit their personal work needs and, and their own ideas. So I just think that we really have to think about what success is and who we're, we're, we're meaning to have reach success, if that makes sense. Who are we intending to reach these levels of success that we're setting? And if we really think about the who behind it, the people, well, then we know that people bring several experiences and layers to themselves into each scenario. So we have to be mindful about that, especially when we're creating definitions that are supposed to be for larger bodies of people. Yeah. And I would love to hear from those who are listening to this, what their definitions of success are. 
how they evaluate that, what their experiences are in the workplace. So please, if you're listening to this and you have any thoughts or questions, write us, call us. And for those who do write in or call in, we're giving out a free copy of the book, Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity, every Q&A episode. So we draw one name from a hat. So make sure to call or write in so you'll be eligible for that. And Azaria, do you care to announce who won the book for this episode? Yes. Congratulations to Terrence Alexander, who is a newsletter subscriber. Awesome. Congrats, Terrence. And thank you so much to everyone who subscribes to the newsletter and calls and writes us with questions. And make sure you're following us on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. We'll be answering some of your questions there, too. And of course, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening in over 50 countries around the world. And if you want to contact today's expert, AC Folks, he can be found on LinkedIn or on folksconsulting.com. And we'll put that info in the show notes as well. And while you're checking out our show notes, be sure to click the link for the DemystifyingDiversityPodcast.com to subscribe to our newsletter and learn about our DEI trainings, workshops, coaching, consulting, and other DEI services. Yeah, we're doing a lot more on social media this season, and our newsletter is a great resource. So please connect with us, connect with Sedwick, and get involved and engaged. Get your employer engaged, or if you are an employer, hopefully this podcast will support you in creating a more inclusive workplace culture. Every episode of the Demystifying Diversity podcast is written, reported, and produced by Darylise Lyons. With the invaluable assistance of co-collaborator and marketing manager, Zach James, with Azaria Keys, assistant director of Sedwick, co-producer and coordination consultant, Paul Kondo, assistant producer and editor, Stu Kraintz, our production and development assistant, and Sunny Taylor, our content editor and creative collaborator. The music you heard is Demystifying Diversity, an original composition, the lyrics of which were written by Darylise Lyons in collaboration with Raymond Beeftink, who also created all the music and performed vocals and instrumentals. Thank you again to AC Folks and to you who's listening to this and Zach and his area. Thanks so much. This was a really great conversation. If you are listening, please join us next week when we'll be talking about the legal system, justice, injustice, law, and disorder. Be sure to join us for that. You won't want to miss it. And in the meantime, let's keep trying to make this a better, more inclusive world. 